uh, Bible reading, 1 Corinthians uh, something or other, 1, 10 to 13, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm up to speed now. Yep. Um, yeah, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 13. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household that have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? Thank you, Neil. So I just want to encourage you to stand up for a moment now. We do this some weeks. Uh, we're just going to reconnect in our minds. And, and I, I want to say that's not just been Phil. That's been an uh, important part of uh, connecting with, with uh, what's happening in God's kingdom. And I, as I said at the start, it's not an accident that um, David Nathan shared a word last week um, as part, in, in his sermon, but not part of the sermon about the importance of young women in the move of God. And, um, and so we, we uh, are not just filling space with that. But yeah, pray with me now as we, as we spend a few minutes connecting uh, directly with God's Word. And so, Father, I pray now that um, you would, even though we've got less time this morning, I pray that you would uh, impact us by your Word. Your power is not limited by time and your Word's uh, impact is not limited uh, by the length of sermon or anything like that, Father. And so I pray that you would give us a high expectation this morning of what you want us to receive. I pray that none of us would walk out of this building the same people that walked in, that we would be transformed by your Word and Spirit in this next few minutes, as we've already been uh, in, in the time we've had so far. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... We're returning to our Culture Code series. Um, so, Michael, if you can throw up that next slide. Uh, we've, we've been uh, going through a series called Culture Code, uh, and, and this is really asking what should be the culture of the church. And some of us might think uh, that the, the culture of the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Some of us might think that the culture of the world's hit a high watermark. Um, but what we've been saying is that doesn't matter. That's not who we connect with to, to discover the culture of the church, we connect with God and His Word. Uh, and so Romans 12.2 uh, says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, that we could translate that, the culture of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. And so that's basically saying, don't look at the world uh, and, and become accustomed to it and let it become your culture. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. But, but the world's culture, good or bad, is not what governs our culture. Uh, and so in the first three weeks of this series, we might need to cast our mind back because we've had a couple weeks of guest preachers. Uh, we've spoken about love, that the, the most defining cultural value of the church should be love. We've spoken about honour, that the church should be a, a culture, a context in which we each see and assign and communicate value, honour for others and it should be a culture of encouragement. And we should only encourage one another on days that end in why. 
Okay, and so I want to remind you again, and I, and I did this, that you have an encouragement machine in your pocket most of the day. Uh, and and uh, I've set up a reminder on mine that repeats every day to, to encourage somebody. Uh, and, it's been, and it's been great. And it doesn't take much to go, oh, I've got to encourage somebody. And God will put someone in my mind to encourage. And so I encourage you to take up the challenge to not just ha, 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 only encourage people on days ending with why, but to, to make it a priority and a, and a commitment to yourself that you're going to encourage someone every single day. If I miss a day, they just add up and I'm like, oh, I've got to get off four today. I better not get too far behind. So we've talked about love, we've talked about honour, we've talked about encouragement and this week we're going to talk about unity or being one together as a church. And um, so I don't believe it was a coincidence that um, David Nathan decided to preach about this same idea last week, um, that, that he uh, felt led by God to talk about uh, oneness or the unity of the church. Um, and so uh, I hadn't I'd given him a broad sweep of what we've been talking about, but I didn't tell him that we were going to be talking about unity this week. And, and so sometimes as a preacher, when someone's preaching a similar message the week before, you think, oh, what am I going to talk about next week now? Um, but I feel like God, when he does that, he's saying, I want us to really grab that. I want us to really grab this concept and idea of unity. And so uh, as Neil read for us this morning, and thanks for stepping in, uh, Neil, uh, to do that. Um, and by the way, there are some version notes up if you want to have a look at your phone. They weren't up at the start of church, but thanks to Carl, they are up now. Um, so if you usually follow along the version notes, you can find them now. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. Okay. Um, and so as Neil read for us in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul appeals to the church at Corinth to not be divided. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions amongst you. The Greek word for divisions there is schism. That there be no schisms amongst you. It's a, it comes from the idea of tearing apart. And so Paul appeals that there be no tearing apart in the church at Corinth. He says that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so this is an urgent appeal from Paul, that the church in Corinth would not be a divided church. And so the context of that is he's received word from some people from that church. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels amongst you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Paul asks. And so the context is that, that Paul is alarmed to hear that there are divisions amongst the church at Corinth. There's factionalism. There's different camps. There, there's certain groups within the church following a particular leader. Or another particular leader. And you, just, you can imagine the context of that church, can't you? Where, where they're like, oh, my favourite uh, preacher and letter writer is Paul. I just love what he has to say. Um, I, I really appreciate his message. And, 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 you know, all you others are a bit off, off track with your following of Apollos. Or, no, Apollos has got the real thing. But you can just imagine those that are, well, I follow Christ. 
So Paul's not saying, you know, we should all follow Christ, of course, but Paul's not praising those. He's not saying the ones who are like, oh, I just follow, I just, I get my theology straight from the word of God. He's not saying that they're any better because they're pushing, they're schisming, they're dividing from the others saying, no, you can't follow Paul, you can't follow Apollos, you have to, you know, you, you, you just, you have to be like me. Direct from the Christ's mouth. And so the church is divided into different camps. And so Paul's question and the power of this passage is really just in that simple question. Is Christ divided? See, for Paul, the, the idea of a church being divided is no way different to the idea of Jesus Christ himself being chopped up into little bits and, and, and a little piece sent to each group of the church. See, the thing is, if the church is divided, then we have lost our focus on Jesus. The church in Corinth was divided because it had lost its focus on Jesus. They'd, they'd split, up, split up into camps based on which was their favorite teacher. The church becomes divided when we lose our focus on Jesus. When we favor that pastor over this pastor... When we favor this denomination over that denomination, when we favor this theological perspective over that one, and we think that we're the true church because we believe this, that we use the right age and amount of water to baptize people, and so we separate from other people that use a different age and a different amount of water, or this teacher's my favorite teacher, and so we, we, we form camps around that, or, or it's right to pray in tongues, or tongues finished you know, 1,500 years ago for some reason, and, and, and we form different groups around that but the thing is whenever we form groups around anything other than Jesus we've lost our focus on Jesus is Christ divided see it is in Jesus that we are united and not divided it's in and about Jesus that Paul appeals to the church to be perfectly united Going back to verse 10, perfectly united in mind and thought. It's not that we have to have the same mind and the same thought about, you know, which is our favorite type of cheese or, or, or um, our favorite Bible passage or, or even uh, some of the things to do with our faith. But it's in and about Jesus that Paul appeals to the church to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Sometimes we might ask, well, are we on the same page? I just want to be on the same page with you. I want to make sure I'm on the same page as everybody else in the church. And I want to suggest to us, though, that our, our pages don't need to perfectly align. As long as Jesus is at the very center and consumes most of the page of our life, then we're going to have unity together and oneness. See, it's when Jesus gets pushed to the edge of my page and he gets pushed to the edge of yours and we only meet in the corner or we don't meet at all is when we end up with division. So we don't have to be in uniformity. We're called to be in unity. As I was talking through this uh, message this week with Carl, um, which we often try to do during the week, I'll chat through it with him and he helps to put together the version notes that are coming up any minute um, if they're not there already. But 
But, but as we're talking about the idea of um, not being divided, Carl came up with this pearl of wisdom and he says, you know what, division is the opposite of multiplication. If you're talking about mathematics, division is the opposite of multi-multiplication. And so the problem with a divided church, amongst other things, is you will see no multiplication. If your church is divided, it will not multiply and grow. It's often said that healthy things grow. Well, in the kingdom of God, united things multiply. Jesus spoke about not addition but multiplication. He said that those, uh, when he was talking about the parable of the sower, that those whose roots grow down deep into his word will produce a harvest. Not once or two times, but 30, 50 or 100 times what was sown. And so we're called to multiply, but, but division is the opposite of multiplication. And this is why Paul is so passionate about it. He appeals, he urges to the church, do not be divided. Do not be divided in the name of Jesus. It's in Jesus that we find our unity. It's in Jesus that we enter into a place of not being divided. So I want to suggest that if we're in a, in a mindset of separating from others within our local church community or separating from others in our church community in Yass or, or, or our global church community, that, that the core issue is that Jesus is no longer our central focus. That peripheral things have pushed Jesus from the center of our page into the corners. Our unity is in Jesus. And it's Jesus himself that prayed that we would be united. In John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed and arrested, the day before he was crucified, he prayed for you and me. He prayed for his disciples and had this long uh, prayer that he went through. But his prayer in this section was for you and me and for all who would believe throughout all ages. It says that Jesus' words were this. My prayer is not for them alone. That's not just the disciples in the room. But I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. We don't actually have that much. We're told that Jesus often withdrew to pray. We don't actually have that much recorded of Jesus' prayer in the Gospels, except for mostly in this, this section of these few chapters of John. And at the very heart of that is a prayer for you and me, and the very focus, the, the central focus of that prayer is that we would be one. And so Paul appeals to the church to not be divided, but, but Jesus prays that we would be one in a way that's far beyond just not having divisions. In a way that's far beyond just getting along really well together. 
the standard that Jesus prays for in terms of the unity that we would share is that of the Trinity itself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus prays that we would be one, that you and me in this church, but not just this church, every church, and I don't think it's an accident that uh, Reverend David Stewart from the Uniting Church, though he doesn't want to be pointed out, uh, but has been, is here with us this morning. I think this is something that God is doing, not just in us as one local expression of church, but in the church in Yas and in the church around the world, is, is being the answer to Jesus' prayer. And so Jesus prays that we would be one as He and the Father are one. It's so much more than just getting along really well together. That's complete unity. So the Trinity is something that our minds can't fully comprehend. It's the expression of distinct persons father son and holy spirit that that have different roles and functions and 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 uh, different personalities distinct personalities but they are also indivisibly one one god and so this is what Jesus prayed that we would be like, that there would be distinct persons. We don't lose our personhood when we come into relationship with Jesus and into his church. But, but in, in what Jesus prays for is that we would become indivisibly one. In my life group this week, or the life group I'm a part of, to, to put it more correctly, uh, we were talking about David's message from last week about unity. And, and someone mentioned in that group that, uh, in some ways, the, the, the world outside the church has a better conception of this than the church because they don't see this church or that church. They don't divide us up into camps. They just think it's the church. There's just one entity. And, and in some ways, that's, that's a truer comprehension that, than, than we might have ourselves, that we are called to be, that Jesus prayed that we would be perfectly united as one. And Jesus doesn't just connect that with, with this idea of oneness and isn't that lovely and nice for us, but he connects it with the idea of the world knowing that the Father sent Jesus. That our oneness, that our unity together, that our, our being one entity is intimately connected with the world knowing that Jesus is the Messiah sent by God to save the world. That when we move towards this, this ideal of being one, united together, that, that we'll also move towards revival in the world knowing about Jesus. The Trinity is a hard concept to fathom and so Paul gives us this example in Romans 12, 4-8 and we're just about finished. It says, For just as each of us has one body, who has a body? Who has one of them? Who has more than one? Put out your hand if you have more than one body. All right, so we all can understand this analogy. Trinity might be a bit hard, but this one we can grasp. Just as each of you has one body with many members, or we could say parts or limbs or uh, appendages, just as each of you have one, has one body, but it's got lots of different bits, 
And these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we though we're many, so we retain our personhood and our individualness in that sense. We who are many form one body, a single entity. And each member belongs to the others. That's a challenging piece of scripture right there for us Westerners. We major in I'm an individual. I own me. But not so in the church. Not so in the body of Christ. You belong to me. But I belong to you. We each belong to each other. Once we step into relationship with Christ, we are not our own anymore that we remain distinct people we become part of the one each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us if your gift is prophesying what should you do prophesy then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement, only on days ending in Y. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And I don't believe this is an exhausting, exhaustive list. I believe Paul is saying, whatever gift, whatever grace, whatever capacity you have as part of Christ's body, then do it. Use it. It's not yours to keep to yourself. You belong to each other. To each part belongs to the others. We have one purpose. We're not individuals serving our own purpose. See, when uh, Brianna goes to Kenya... It's not just about Brianna going to Kenya. We go with her because she's part of us. It's, it's like our arm, the church's arm, reaching out and connecting with arms from other local churches. If you go with the image, reaching out from Yas to touch Kenya. It's not just Brianna being sent off. It's us going with her. We belong to each other. It's not just Jessica in Yashai and Barimba and South Gungalan, it's we belong to each other. And so that's us going there with her. Not that we get to, in this sense, tick the box and go, okay, Kenya's covered, don't have to worry about it. Yashai is covered, don't have to worry about it. Actually, we have to not worry, but we have to be concerned and invested into it because it's part of us doing that. We're partnering together for that. And it's not just, as I say, this local church expression. Jessica's employed by the, the local churches of Yass. Brianna's going off with people from Mountain Trails and from they go to church at Eagle's Nest. That's the church they're a part of. And there's people from around the world supporting that. We belong to each other. And so we're called to partner together. That in finds expression in a number of ways of praying for one another, of encouraging one another, of, of, of having relationship with one another. And it also involves putting our money where our mouth is.
Thanks for joining us for this message from Mornings at YCBC. Unfortunately, due to a technical error, we were unable to record the rest of this message. We hope you have been blessed and encouraged in your faith today. You can catch up on our messages through most of your favourite podcasting apps or on our website, ycbc.church. If you'd like to know more about YCBC, you can join us on Sunday. We're gathering starting at 10am at 50 Laidlaw Street in Yates. Or send us an email or a Facebook message. Thanks for being a part of the YCBC family.